Podcast. Well, welcome to the Uncut Podcast, where, uh, well, first off, I guess my name's Pastor Luke. And I'm Pastor Cameron. Uh, and we strive to have honest, uncut conversations about faith, life, and ministry. And so, um, Cameron, what are we going to be talking about today? Today, um, I thought we would take a, an opportunity to talk about a, I don't know if it's, I don't know if you would call it like a, if we could call it a phenomena or a tendency or whatever. I'm not sure, really sure what you would call it, but it's, there's this concept sometimes that we encounter. I'm, I'm thinking of a few particular situations uh, and conversations I've had over the past over the course of the past few years, where people will. It almost seems as if they want to invite an extreme amount of like shame upon themselves Mm -hmm. or guilt upon themselves or condemnation upon themselves um, because they feel like the only reason or the way in which God is like really strongly moving in their life is if they just feel so horrible about who they are and about what they've done and about like their eternal like standing or place or destiny. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there is some, I think it's a worthwhile conversation yeah. to talk about like the prevalence of guilt, mm-hmm. shame yeah. and condemnation. Yeah. In the Christian faith. I think, like, I know what you're talking about. Like, Mm -hmm. I've had those conversations. Slash, I've been that person, I think. Um, When, I mean, so if I we go back to, like, 19-year-old Luke, 20-year-old Luke, 21-year-old Luke, um, at that point, um, Mark Driscoll... Mm-hmm. Was like he was a big name in Christianity. Still, is now a big name, but he's infamously a big name. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was he was a preacher that I listened to on the regular. And you know, I I remember like there was a lot of things that I appreciated appreciated about his preaching at the time. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I really really wanted and liked was when he yelled at me. Yeah, I like. I was like, oh, like I would just like, I was listening to sermon podcasts all the time, and I was like, oh, nobody else makes me feel like as bad mm-hmm. about my sin yep. as he does. Like, it, like it was it wasn't a good sermon unless I felt really like I was a miserable, wretched sinner. Am I afterwards? Yeah, I, I, I like. Yeah, I, I had an and older you belief for that. Right? I looked for that. That yeah. was like I would hunt for sermons like that. Mm-hmm. Like that became like my. The draw is like mm-hmm. I wanted to listen to sermons by him until I found one that was like that and made me like feel bad about myself in some mm-hmm. way. And you know, I remember some older believers in my life asking me like, "Why, why do you like his sermons so much? Like he's not actually all that clear of a preacher. He just preach talks for a long time, kind of rambles." And like I think now retrospectively, I think that was a significant piece of why I liked 
his mm-hmm. sermons because I thought, oh, well, this is how, like, this is a sign of God doing something in, in this sermon is how I feel afterwards, and I feel miserable. Right. Like, if we, we elevated, and there's a tendency or can be a tendency to <clears throat> elevate the work of God in my life through a sermon with how bad I feel about myself mm-hmm. because of it. Like, yeah. That like the I I describe it as like the Bible being used only as a hammer mm-hmm. to pound us into repentant submission. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. Repentant submission is it's a biblical. Concept. It's a biblical concept that we all right mm-hmm. that like myself included. Yes, I need to. I need to repent of my sin mm-hmm. daily. Yes, I need to submit to God's work in my life and God's conviction of my sin and conviction in my life. But when <clears throat> when it rises to the level of uh, like the only way that God works in my life is when I feel horrible about myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we have some questions to ask about does God only use a hammer to draw us into mm-hmm. relationship, greater relationship with him, um, more holiness, yeah, more transformation. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of like – like for me, that that feels like maybe the crux of the conversation or the crux of the mm-hmm. question is, how does God actually and usually draw us into a transformative process wherein we are moved to recognize our sin, mm-hmm. repent of it, and turn to Him in faith? Um. And like the I think the the opinions on that are varied. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess like I'm I'm kind of like as I'm thinking, I don't know. I have so many different thoughts about like like do we talk about why we're drawn to like sin or not sin? Why are we drawn to kind of like why was I as a young believer so like just like running towards shame and guilt? Mm-hmm. Like I was, I was looking for it. Like if the preacher didn't make me feel bad about myself, he didn't really preach. He wasn't a good preacher. He wasn't a good preacher. He wasn't preaching the Bible. Right. And no. I could, you know, I could, I can hear, right? Like, oh, Cameron, you're just, you're, you're just wanting to talk about like a really soft God. Soft God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, who, um, you know, why would we like, you're, you're actually choosing to run towards what the flesh would run, the flesh wants. Right. Um, the soft, kind, like comfort, comfort, but yeah. the fear of the Lord, like you, you, that's that's you're actually running from it. And I think that's an interesting question to talk about. Is okay? It might seem counterintuitive to say, well, why would we choose the thing that causes more discomfort? Mm-hmm. Like, wouldn't that be something that God leads us to? Because we wouldn't naturally go there. Mm-hmm. We would naturally want to go the direction you're maybe advocating or saying is the other side of that coin. Yeah, I think that's a 
I think that is isn't quite. Do you kind of get what I'm getting? I at? totally get what you're getting. Yeah, yeah, like how do how would I respond as a pastor and as a preacher to someone who says essentially like, well, aren't you just kind of? Isn't that just kind of like Christianity, like diet Christianity? Yeah, like Christianity for you know the soft person who doesn't you can't deal with the real right. significant heavy truths of the Cameron. gospel. Ang- sinners in the hands of an angry God, right. you know, Jonathan Edwards' famous sermon, you know. Right, right. Cameron, you're just being seeker-sensitive. Being seeker-sensitive. Yeah. Um, I would say this really simply and not like only with a little bit of snarkiness, maybe with a lot of snarkiness, <laughs> um, is that um, the wrath of God was satisfied on the cross by Jesus. Mm. And that God approaches, like, God approaches me, or I approach God, or however you want to look at it. I approach the Father through the work of Jesus, whom has given me access by his blood and his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, that we can boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence, um, that that, that every bit of anger... God had every bit of um, every bit of wrath was satisfied, um, was hung on the cross in the person of His Son Jesus, mm-hmm. so that I don't have to experience wrath, so that I don't have to experience His ho- the the holiness of or the justice of His holiness. Mm-hmm. Um, what I experience is I experience life through Christ. Of course, that life through Christ demands something of me. It demands yeah. that I turn from my sin. It demands that I put to death the deeds of the world and the deeds of my you know sinful nature, and that I be resurrected into new life. Um, and and you know through faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells me and I'm adopted as a son or as a daughter, as a child of the Father, and I produce fruit that is in keeping with repentance, right? It is not it is not a um it is not a form of the gospel or a or a form of Christianity that demands nothing of me. It demand it demands my very life. Mm-hmm. Um but but not in the sense that I sit under the wrath of God here and now and in the moment if I don't, right? Um, it is the it is like it is the love of God through Christ mm-hmm. that compels us and draws us and woos us in. And we can certainly, I think, stand or sit in awe and in humility and in gratefulness and thankfulness that um, the punishment that was ours was Jesus, Mm -hmm. that Jesus bore the punishment that we deserved. Um, But I feel like a little bit of it's like every time that I want to feel really bad about myself or I I want to have that feeling, you know, that feeling that we were discussing about like, um, is a little bit Jesus been like, why? Why, why do you want to? Mm-hmm. Like, like did not did I not bear enough of God's wrath 
for you Mm -hmm. that you feel it necessary to like bear more of it was Mm -hmm. my death not sufficient. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because like, um, I don't know. I think there's, there's a strain of Christianity that at least I'm, I'm fairly familiar with because I was kind of in it for a while. That's like, well, I am nothing more than a wretched sinner. Right. But if we think about like Paul's addresses to the church, mm-hmm. like dearly beloved, yeah. right? Like the identity of someone who is in Christ, like there is in a way in which we can say, yes, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me for I am a sinner. Like mm-hmm. that will always be true on a level, mm-hmm. but it is no longer the superseding or ultimate identity. And we see that again and again throughout the New Testament, because mm-hmm. Christians are referred to as beloved, as like in Christ, and like as ch- children. children, as part of the you know. family, as a united priesthood, as mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. people set apart unto him. Like that's the identity that is again and again stated. Mm-hmm. Paul doesn't, you know, I think a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of people who are in sort of pastoral authority and things like that would if they were Paul would have written their letters, something like, hello, you wretched sinners. Like yeah. that's, mm-hmm. well, that doesn't seem to be what Paul or Christ had in mind. Mm-mm. Like that it seems like we've kind of shifted tones um, unnecessarily and maybe adopted something that's not biblical. <laughs> if we can say not that. Biblical, yeah. <laughs> Harkening back to a previous podcast episode about what is, what does it mean to be biblical or not? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, maybe maybe we can chalk some of it up to like a want to say a confusion of terms, not a confusion of terms, but like a we have a lot of terms both Christian and like cultural that kind of swirl around the periphery of this kind of topic or concept. Mm-hmm. Terms like guilt um, shame, mm-hmm. condemnation, sorrow. Um, you know, and there's a you know sadness. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of there's a bunch of those, and so even having a little bit of or doing a little bit of work around what are the what are the substantive differences between those terms mm-hmm. could. I don't know, maybe it would bring a little bit of like yeah. clarity to those conversations. So like, mm-hmm. what is your, like, do you have a sense of like how you would begin to parse out like some of the differences in those? Uh, you know, like I go immediately to shame, like shame's like the one that like, I think like if we can get shame into its right corner, yeah, I think some of the other ones we can begin to maybe parse some mm-hmm. differences or at least even, um, begin to kind of wrap our mind about the landscape. Mm-hmm. Shame for me is um, a kind of a superlative I am statement about who or what I am. Like shame is like the, like let's, let's say, um, all right, let's say that I'm harsh with my words. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I get into a conversation and I, I speak harshly, right? Shame 
in that would be I'm an awful person. Yep. I'm terrible. Like I'm, uh, I'm an awful person because I'm harsh with my words sometimes. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm wretched. I'm, I'm terrible. Mm-hmm. I just shouldn't. I'm undeserving of anything. Like mm-hmm. going down that. It's mm-hmm. All I am stuff. Sorrow would be more like I my actions were not in keeping with Christ. Mm-hmm. I reacted, acted in a way that was not loving or Christ-like. I wish I had not, mm-hmm. and I desire not to. I want to do better in the future. Mm-hmm. But that's significantly different because it's oriented towards Christ and redemption, and it's not... Because what do you do if you are an awful person? How does that get changed? Right. Versus like... You did an awful thing. I did an awful thing. Like I'm still redeemed by Christ. I'm still a child of God. But I'm still in process. Uh Right? Like that's significantly different. So like for me, shame statements, shame is all about like the I am statements. And they tend to be very like superlative in kind of yeah and don't don't provide any sort of direction forward yeah yeah i think in similar i think in a similar way um i would agree with that you know i think that like i usually try to think about the connections between guilt shame Mm -hmm. sorrow and condemnation because in a way i feel like they're all they they all are like you know, they're all a little bit connected. Mm-hmm. So like, for instance, like a, the word guilt, which is a, it's a biblical word. We can use that. <laughs> uh, uh, it's a biblical word, right? But it's a, it's kind of like a legal term, yeah. similar to how the word righteousness or unrighteousness is a legal, is a, you know, a legal term, but it's a biblical term. Like guilt is a legal term, meaning like you're either guilty or not guilty of doing a thing, mm-hmm. right? So let's use harsh words, right? Did you speak harshly? Did you use harsh words? Yes. Okay. You are guilty of the offense of using harsh words. So guilt on its own is not a word that is meant to affect identity mm-hmm. or emotion, or like our own mental process or our spiritual status or our identity. Mm-hmm. It simply is meant to denote whether or not like we did it or we didn't for mm-hmm. lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Talking about the objective reality. The objective reality of the thing. Right. Like right. I, I use those words in a harsh way yes. that was hurtful or offensive. I, I did those I've things. I've been declared guilty of doing that. Yeah. Thing, right. Shame then becomes similar to what you said. It becomes like the the downward spiraling effect of the thing that I did mm-hmm. now determines my identity. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And because I did and I am guilty of doing an awful thing, mm-hmm. it must by association mean that I'm an awful person. Mm-hmm. Shame almost always leads us to the place of feeling as though we deserve condemnation. Right. 
right? Yes. Guilt can lead us to the same place too. Yeah. We can, we, we, we can, we can feel condemnation mm-hmm. or a feeling of condemnation over being guilty of something. Right. Um, but, but shame always leads us to the place of feeling condemned because how could I not be condemned since I'm such an awful, horrible right. person? And what is so insidious about shame is that there is no like there is no level to which it will not go yep. to drag you lower and deeper yep. and further. Yeah. I think I think we should pause right there before we kind of go on to mm-hmm. sorrow. Because I think we live in a world where some I think there's this misconception that like, oh let's say, right? Say I, I use harsh words. Well, if I'm really harsh on myself in turn and I go into shame, why would not being mad at myself and beating myself down, why would that not change my behavior? Like, and I think this is the the lie of shame or the thing that like a lot of us don't immediately realize about shame because we're we sometimes when we particularly when we leverage shame on ourselves mm-hmm. is in an effort to get us to do different mm-hmm. but shame is really good at actually reinforcing the negative behavior yeah rather than actually changing it yeah because well that's who i am so why wouldn't i just keep doing yeah. that mm-hmm. and that that's often and that's often a subconscious response it's not yeah. something that we actually think no like oh i'm a wretched person i might as well keep doing wretched things Subconsciously speak. Subconsciously, though, we continue to do those things because we've identified right. in that in that way. And so, yes. well, why doesn't shame move us to a place of like action in a positive direction? Well, because shame it it um, it poisons and twists your identity. Mm-hmm. Right. It has. It gives you a false identity, and in, in, in fact, it is the act of you presuming your own identity. Like you, we don't, we're not, we're no longer receiving our identity from yeah. our heavenly father. Now we're receiving our identity from the thing that we did mm-hmm. or the thing that we, or the thing that we didn't do. Yeah. Um, and so, um, you maybe you yeah it, did you ask it, a question there? I, I think I just wanted to highlight that, oh, like because yeah. I I think there's that cycle there, and not everyone is aware of it because like we leverage shame on ourselves or other people, mm-hmm. thinking that that will be the thing that gets them to change. Yeah, but what we don't realize is that 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 that's we've 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 bought a lie. Yeah, the lie that shame changes behavior. It doesn't. It actually tends to reinforce behavior. Yeah. No, because – yeah, exactly. Because shame is a replacement of true identity. Mm-hmm. So it's a counterfeit identity, right? And where does change actually happen? Change happens truly like from the basis of our identity. Mm-hmm. So if our identity is a counterfeit identity that is produced by shame, I'm wretched, I am horrible, I am harsh, I am whatever – right? Then that's not an identity actually that leads us into transformation, just no. leads us into greater shame. Right. Yeah. Right. Whereas if we, if we, 
if we start from a place of identity as a, I am a son of God, mm-hmm. I am a daughter of God, mm-hmm. I am a child of God, right? Then it's from our identity that we actually like act mm-hmm. and do different things. Like we've mm-hmm. talked that about a lot of that here at Conduit about mm-hmm. the the identity triangle when it comes to forgiveness, mm-hmm. right? Like the idea being that, okay, um, someone has done something that's really, they've sinned against me, they've hurt me, they've harmed me, and um, I, I maybe know that I need to forgive them mm-hmm. from like, a, I read it in the Bible and I know it here, but I don't feel like I can. Like the feelings of forgiveness are not there. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I can't. And I am going to wait until I feel like forgiving that person before I actually do. And what do we always say? That feeling is not coming. Right. You know, because if we operate from our, if, if, if every action that we take is operative based on our emotions, Mm -hmm. right, it will never lead us towards transformation. Yeah. Right. So why then or how can we forgive if we don't feel like it, right? Well, we forgive, <laughs> right, right. We, for, we, we, you forgive before you feel like it because forgiveness comes from a place of our identity. Mm-hmm. And what is our identity? Our identity uh, is as one that has been forgiven, right? Mm-hmm. I forgive because I have been forgiven. My identity is forgiven, right? So out of my identity comes my action. Right, and out of my action comes the emotion. Yeah, you actually feel like forgiving them long after you've actually forgiven them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think shame and like shame in terms of like an assumed identity works in the same in the same sort of fashion. Yeah, it yeah. it continues to put us again into that. Again, starting at the bottom of identity. Mm-hmm. Shame. I am this awful thing. Where is like living in Christ is, well, no, I am in Christ. I'm a child of God. And then those two, like the guilt, right? To come back to the terms that we were talking about. The guilt doesn't change. Guilt, no. Guilt, guilt doesn't change. Guilt doesn't change. Whether or not I use those harsh words, I did that thing, hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. But if I choose to then take that guilt and put it into a, a pyramid building out of my identity as a child of God mm-hmm. versus putting it into a different pyramid where it's built on shame, mm-hmm. an identity of shame, those lead to two different action mm-hmm. points mm-hmm. and lead to two different outcomes. Yes. So what I'm curious then because you've mentioned like sorrow. Yes. So if you don't use like is sorrow like the thing that we use that not we use but that we experience that leads us somewhere else other yes. than shame? Is that how you kind of see that? Yeah, I, that's, that's exactly how I see it. It's like so guilt, we did the thing, mm-hmm. can lead us in one of two directions. It can lead us down the route of shame, mm-hmm. which is now we're accepting an identity of being harsher whatever. So guilt can lead either to shame or it can lead to sorrow. Mm -hmm. And in particular, 
what we would call, like, or what I would call, I think, and what the Apostle Paul would call godly sorrow. Right. What's right? in the Bible. Right. You know, Second Corinthians chapter 7, mm-hmm. like, godly sorrow leads to repentance, mm-hmm. is what Paul says. Right. Um, in fact, let's, um, you know. Are, are, are the two pastors going to pull out a Bible? We're going to pull out a Bible. Okay. At least one of us is. <laughs> um, just as to, you know, because I don't. It, you might be surprised to know that I don't actually have the whole Bible memorized. You know, I actually had somebody assume that of me. Yeah. They were like, oh, you're a pastor. Uh, yeah. So you've got the whole Bible memorized, right? I'm like, That's, no. Yeah. <laughs> and here, like, I, what's really interesting too about this passage is that it it gives you a little bit of like an insight into Paul's own like leadership journey and how he is learning to maybe not be so harsh with even the churches that he leads. Cause he says this in like second Corinthians chapter seven, starting in verse eight um, says, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it <laughs> though. I did regret it. I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while yet. Now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance for you became sorrowful as God intended, and so we're not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So I guess even Paul, like he kind of even makes the, the distinction. This is something I had forgotten about this particular passage, but he, I guess he makes the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Yeah. So maybe worldly sorrow is a little bit closer to what we had already described as shame. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's what stood out to me. And I was like, oh, it's like, he's not just lifting up godly sorrow. He's lifting up and saying, well, godly sorrow as opposed to worldly, worldly sorrow. sorrow. And maybe we can see two, you know, maybe two ways of like, I'm like, well, what is worldly sorrow? I think it's one of the ways worldly sorrow looks is the way that we described. Mm-hmm. And then maybe the other way is like mm, crocodile tears, like the, I'm um, not actually, yeah. you know, like yeah. I, I don't care. You don't, yeah, you're not actually sorry. Giving but, an outward appearance yeah. of it. Okay. But at least in my experience is usually beneath that is shame mm-hmm. on some level mm-hmm. um, in some sort of deeper, more internalized way. But like, I think, I don't know. That's what I at least comes to my mind as I hear that. I mean, what is certainly clear here is that there is a form of sorrow that is godly. Mm-hmm. There is a form of, I guess you could call, maybe you could call it sadness. Mm-hmm. Or it's like a kind of like an eyes wide open view on where our, where our sin has taken us and what our sin has done. And so now it becomes like, it becomes the pathway for us to repent and turn to the Lord for, you know, turn to the Lord for salvation. Um, and so 
there, like, there, there is a part of sorrow that leads us back to God, mm-hmm. where shame tends to make us hide from God. You yeah. should say that. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty darn close to what happened in the Genesis narrative, yeah. right? Right. Genesis chapter 3, the fall of Adam and Eve. Right. From the, the, the genesis of sorrow was it? It was in Genesis, yeah, right? The genesis of sorrow is in, is in Genesis, right? You know, in that Adam and Eve sinned, mm-hmm. and in their shame, they ran and they hid, yeah, and they covered their nakedness, which, you know, from a literary standpoint, was kind of denoted their like, really their their guilt and their vulnerability because of their sin before the holiness of God. Like we lay, we lay naked, you know, we use it kind of, we use that term kind of like as a euphemism now, you know, like, Mm -hmm. Oh, I felt like I was naked in front of them. Like I had nothing to hide. Like I I, I couldn't hide all of my shame was like laid out before everyone. Yeah. Right. Like it's the, it's the it's the nightmare that so many people have of like you get up to give a presentation and you don't have any pants on or something yeah, like, like that. Whoops, like, forgot my pants today. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But anyway, like the genesis of shame happened there. And what did shame cause Adam and Eve to do? They hid. They hid. Right. And And deflected. And deflected. Well, the serpent made us do it. Right. Or no, I was what was it first? First it was Adam. Adam, yeah. where are you? And Adam, what have you done? Uh, the woman made me the do it. The woman made me do it. Right. And then what does Eve say? The serpent made me the do it. Me do it. <laughs> right? Like, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Not my responsibility. Not right. my responsibility. Right. Um, and I think what what is maybe inst- so instructive to me about that passage is not necessarily what God does say, but what he doesn't say, which is a lot. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really say anything. Yeah. He says things, but certainly not. It's certainly not like a you wretched creatures of mine. Yeah. You know, it's none of that. It's not the magnification of shame. Mm-hmm. God never goes on a campaign to magnify their sin. Yeah, because he could have. He could have. <laughs> and if there's anyone in all of existence or creation that could have, it would be him, mm-hmm. right? Because it's, it's not coming from a place of unholy or unjust judgment. It's coming from the place of, the throne of judgment. Right. If anyone had an opportunity to judge them for their sin, it would have been God in that moment, but he didn't. Mm-hmm. Instead, he recognized that shame was overtaking Adam and Eve, that shame was that shame was twisting their identity into people who needed to hide from God. Mm-hmm. rather than be in communion with him. And so in that moment it says that he he created he created a way to cover their shame which mm-hmm. was symbolized in their nakedness mm-hmm. in that moment, right? And how did he how did he cover it, cover it? Well, if we read um if we read the scripture, right? Uh but the Lord God called to man, "Where are you?" I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that, you go down to verse 21 and it doesn't really say what God did. No. We no. always – like the Bible pictures. Yeah. You know, Bible sto- – storybook Bible. Right. 
a ram was caught by the horns in a thicket. So God went over and like, right. you know, yeah. sacrificed it. But it doesn't give us that detail. No. It just says in, you know, Genesis 3.21, the Lord God made made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed right. them. Right. The, the implication being that God in some way sacrificed an animal yeah, in, in order way. to right. uh, clothe them, right. to cover them, right? which points again to like we're talking about biblical typology and mm-hmm. like sacrifice, yes. covering up yeah. and clothing us in righteousness, yeah. right? Ultimately fulfilled in Christ. By a sacrifice. By a sacrifice. Right. Right. Like the, the lamb who's come to take away the sins of the world. Exactly. That's the, you know, and then yes. I mean, in that serpent crusher, right, with yes. in, in uh-huh. with the curse that Christ or that God makes there, he's mm-hmm. like, but there will be, there will be someone, a seed right. of the woman who will come, yes. crush the serpent yes. and bruise his heel. Right. And that is Christ. Yeah. Right? What we see from like a literary or theological standpoint there is what we call theophany, right? Mm-hmm. A pre, like a pre or foreshadowing to the presence or incarnation of Jesus Christ yeah. way before his name was even you know, right. said on the pages of scripture, but yeah, absolutely. Like mm-hmm. how does it not foreshadow the work of Jesus Christ, right? That the sacrifice of God on the cross in Jesus is the, is the thing that covers or takes away the shame right. that is keep, that keeps us separated from God right? and brings us back into communion with him. Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's, there's so much that points all the way forward to that. Well, so Importantly and without question, like from the very beginning, where where shame first existed, mm-hmm. where where human beings wanted to feel horrible about themselves and hide from God because right. of the wretched sinners that they are, God said, No. Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. That's not the way I'm gonna be in relationship with you. Mm-hmm. That's not you yeah. know, like Adam and Eve were hiding. Right. God came to find them. Right. Right. Like God is searching around. Where are you? Hello, I'm here. Yeah. Because like the the way you're saying that is making me think about it. Like what was Adam and Eve's game plan? Like, okay. Oh, we're naked. All right. Let's cover ourselves up with some leaves. Um, God's coming. What was their game plan? Their game plan, if they had, let's say they had just, they had somehow been able to succeed with their mission which was to avoid God at all costs. <laughs> that was their mission. Was like, okay. I mean, I was, like, I don't know. Stands like, to reason, Stands right? to reason yeah. that perhaps their game plan for the rest of their life and existence was to avoid any contact of God. We've messed up. We just never want to talk to him again. Mm-hmm. Ever. Yeah. And God's like, okay, he comes up, presents to them their guilt, but then, and, and levels a curse, levels the results of sin, but then... Provides a way forward, yes. a way back, covers them, yeah. like commissions them out of the garden, like yeah. like God provided a way back, and maybe that's maybe that's another illustration of shame versus sorrow that leads to repentance. Is yeah. like one leads somewhere, <laughs> the other just leads. One to leads just... towards God, the other leads hiding from God. Right, shame leads us to run away and hide and avoid God. Mm-hmm. Sorrow leads us to repentance and into relationship. Yeah. You know, back into relationship. Yeah. So yeah, from the very beginning, God saw 
the natural human response of shame and hiding as unacceptable Mm -hmm. and himself went about taking away that shame. Yeah. In fact, I think there's a writer of Hebrews says that Jesus became shame for us. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, He scorned the shame of the cross. Yeah. Or he went to the cross scorning its shame. Scorning its shame. You know, but for the joy set before him, yes, endured it, endured it, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, like, what a tr- just like what a tremendous truth for us to sit under, especially when we have sinned and are like, I need to hide. Yeah, I need to run. I need to get away. Mm-hmm. And even God's searching for Adam and Eve in the garden is then, you know, the foreshadow of the incarnation. Yeah. God coming in the person of Jesus Christ, right? Right. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Right. For God sent his son into the world, what? Not to condemn the world, mm-hmm. but to save the world. Yep. Through him. Right. You know, John 3, 16 and 17. Yep. Jesus sat and prayed in another garden and chose mm-hmm. God's will over his and yes. went to the cross. Uh-huh. Right. Like, re-entered into the garden uh-huh. and then overcame shame, guilt, and sin, and death. Yeah. Like, yeah. Why? So that we didn't have to anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like the very from the very beginning in Genesis all the way through to the death of Jesus on the cross, like God is inviting us to experience him in a way that is not full of shame, Mm -hmm. that is not full of condemnation, that is full of his, like his initiative to ensure that we do not feel those things, Mm -hmm. that we do not experience those things, that we are not hiding in shame, that we are not assuming an identity upon ourselves that he has not given to us first, Mm -hmm. right? But that we are only living in the midst of the relationship that we have with him that is by now ours um, through faith in Jesus Christ. And that comes from his kindness. That comes from his goodness, Mm -hmm. not from his... Not from the hammer of his holiness and justice. Right. I think, you know, I'm thinking about, because I'm like thinking about the whole Bible. And, you know, there's, you've got the prophets in the Old Testament. And then you've got like, because God definitely uses harsh words. But I think, but again, he's always saying like, but turn to me and like, come back to me. He's always, there's always an invitation back. And I think sometimes I think God, God will issue wake up calls. Oh, of course. Like he does like, absolutely. Like, and I think, I think that's, that's how I at least am kind of in the moment putting God's prophetic words of judgment and warning into a category is like, is we're headed in a direction Israel was headed in a direction, pursuing their own sin, running down, and God's calling to them and saying, death lies in that direction. Turn yeah. back. Yeah. Like, he was saying it to them 
in the midst of like, remember, like, or at least the way that I see it is that shame is the twisting of our identity, right? Mm-hmm. So we want to assume an identity that is not our own, right? But does God use shame in order to change our direction? No, I don't. I don't think so. Right. Because in order to do that, like he he would have like even in in your in the context of like you know prophetic accounts in the Old Testament and even our own accounts of like God, you know, like wake up call, like hello, what's going on here? Is I think it's still in the context of his identity for us. Like mm-hmm. his he did not change the identity of his covenant people. Right. The reason that he was giving them a wake up call is because return to who you are. Mm-hmm. That is not who you are. Yeah. You know, you are not that you are not that wicked, adulterous, idolatrous people. Right. Mm-hmm. You you are the children of promise. Mm-hmm. You are the children of the covenant, right? Um, and so God never used the twisting of an identity to move people back into relationship with him, right? Just like he doesn't use it for us, and so we shouldn't use it for ourselves either. Um, but to say that like, oh, well, God never issues any any like stern or mm-hmm. or heavy wake-up calls, like I'm not saying that at all. Right. Right. I'm not I'm not saying that at all. Even even post Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, like you might have an argument in the old testament, right? But like even e- like even post Jesus. Like where, where, yeah, our identity is of, mm-hmm. you know, we are children of God through our faith in Jesus Christ. who have been yeah. adopted as sons and daughters and God woos us into relationship with him through the grace offered to us in Jesus Christ and no condemnation for us who believe, right? Um, you have the seven churches in Revelation. Right. Right. Several of which, one or two of them got some praise, but like most of them were wake up calls. Most of them were wake up calls. Yeah. And that's still... You know, like God still speaks, I think, through his Holy Spirit, through his word, mm-hmm. um, through the ministry of the church, through um, through godly friends mm-hmm. who have a prophetic voice yeah. in a moment, like, you know, beware, mm-hmm. um, through our con- through consequence. Yeah. Like how many times have, our, have the consequences of our actions been the wake-up call that we needed in order to change direction and yeah. turn towards the Lord. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, I this conversation just makes me think about, like, it's God's grace that he chases us down, mm-hmm. right? Like, I, like, I think about the biblical narrative and how many people who God has to, like, chase them down a little bit, mm. right? Like Jacob. Mm-hmm. Like he's a good example mm-hmm. of just like someone who was consistently fleeing God's will and intention and goodness for him and was consistently trying mm-hmm. to do things his own way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. until he wrestles with God, right? Yeah. Or like, or, or Peter, right? Someone else who wanted to hide mm-hmm. and run mm-hmm. and Jesus confronts him again after his denial. Like, and then, God's grace to us, right? Like, I think at least I'm here because God hasn't f- finished like chasing me and pulling me back when yeah. I've like been stubborn. Yeah, He has not smited me. No. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, like, like the true wrath of God would be simply to turn us over. 
Yes. Right. To just mm -hmm. simply say, all right. Yes. Uh -huh. I'm not going to bring conviction anymore. I'm not going to come and yeah. uh, try and draw you back to me. That that's ultimately that's a that's a judgment. Uh -huh. Speaking of, speaking of judgment, it's a very good um, very good little lead into this. You know, in Paul's letter to the Romans, uh -huh. um, he's kind of maybe giving them a little bit of pastoral correction around their judgment of others. Yeah. And about how judgment is being used to leverage people in a certain direction. Right. This is Romans chapter two. It says, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else for at whatever point you judge the other, you're now condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. What's he saying? Okay, so God God can judge because mm -hmm. he judges from a place of complete holiness and truth. Right. We cannot judge because we do not – our baseline is sin. Right. Right. Um, so when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and you yet do the same things, do you think that you will escape God's judgment? Right. Here's a verse that really stuck out to me when I read it a few weeks ago and I talked to the staff about this. And so this is not new. But Or do you show contempt for the riches – of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that it's God's kindness that leads you towards repentance. Mm -hmm. So that, like, God is so overwhelmingly patient and kind and good that his actual, like, maybe the sorrow that leads us to repentance is actually a function of his kindness in our lives. Mm -hmm. Um. And that, you know, I, I don't know. I just, yeah. I, I have a hard time. I have a hard time experiencing. Um, I have, a, I have a hard time with the idea that God, um, that God is a hammer that only sees everything as nails. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, that passage for me makes me think of. Um, Jesus and the woman, and um, he who has been forgiven much loves much, mm. right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think for some reason, what's happening there is like, if we think about like our own personal lives, and if those who are listening and watching, think about your own walk with God, like what, hasn't God been patient with you? Mm -hmm. Like, hasn't his kindness has been the thing that's drawn us? Mm -hmm. But then, like the Romans there, for some reason, we think that being harsh towards others will get them to follow God mm. when it wasn't the thing that got us to follow God in the first place. No, mm -mm. we don't, we're not here because somebody yelled at us yeah, or somebody was mad at us mm -hmm. or someone made us feel like garbage. Yeah. And we're here because like someone extended grace, forgiveness and pointed us to Christ. Like that same thing remains God's effective pathway to him. Yes. That's what draws us. Mm -hmm. But sometimes when we go to interact with other people, we forget that mm -hmm. is part of our story. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, we might leverage harshness or judgment like the Romans were doing. Yeah. We're forgetting that that particular verse and also the he who's been forgiven much loves much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I What you just said there kind of reminds me of like the way we see Jesus interact with different types of people in the Gospels. You see really two types of 
Jesus, mm-hmm. or two styles of interaction in the gospel when it comes to Jesus. You see the like no holds barred, say what exactly on my mind. Yeah. And then you see like the kindness and the gentleness and the compassion. And so and so what is the difference between the two people there? Well, almost universally in the gospels when Jesus is interacting with religious people who think that their crap doesn't stink. Right? Yeah. He like where there's just like overt hypocrisy and judgment on others um that Jesus Jesus's um interaction with them usually comes across pretty strongly mm-hmm. pretty harshly yeah um and then when you have someone who is fully aware of their brokenness fully aware of their sin mm-hmm. um you see a Jesus who is compassionate who is um hospitable who does not does not create license to continue to sin, but does create invita- invitation to extraordinary relationship yeah. and repentance. Mm-hmm. You know? And so I suppose maybe, maybe we should say this, maybe we should say um, that based on the pattern of Jesus, right? You can expect maybe the heavy hand of God if there's if you're living in extraordinary hypocrisy mm-hmm. and putting the weight the you know the the weight of hypocrisy and judgment upon others around you then mm-hmm. you can probably expect a harsher a harsher response or a harsher approach you're in denial of the wake up call yes mm-hmm. right but that if you are eyes wide open towards your own sin mm-hmm. um that the lord you know, you're in you're, you're in a spot of humility, acknowledgement of guilt, acknowledgement of guilt, right? That that God is going to like you're you're gonna you're gonna experience the the gentleness, the kindness, the the patience, the grace, mm-hmm. the love of God that draws you back into relationship with Him. Yeah. There's, I think it was John Maxwell. Um, I think he said it. He he might have said it in the context of leadership. Most things he says are in context. Of well, leadership. yeah, duh. <laughs> <laughs> but he talked about. I think he talked about like the a velvet brick. Hmm. About how like leadership in most contexts is a requirement to be the velvet brick. Um. Yeah. And to like. Hit somebody over the head. There's some weight there. Right. Right? Yeah. A brick is weighty. Yeah. But the velvet is soft and mm-hmm. supple and smooth and inviting, right? Um, and it, you know, maybe that's appropriate here. Maybe God approaches us as a velvet brick mm-hmm. when yeah. we're hiding in the garden because of our shame. Yeah. Well, it's, I think of the Proverbs, like, uh, like, Sometimes hurtful are the friend, the words of a good friend. Oh yeah, but yeah. like uh, soft and easy, or like yeah. the 
the words of like an enemy or something like uh-huh. that. Cause like a good friend will like in the moment uh-huh. is willing to slap you upside the face and say, stop that. Right. But the enemy, will, oh, keep doing that. Keep doing, keep walking down that path. Yeah. Right. So Which is such an interesting dynamic that we could even talk about that. Like one of those is loving and one of them is not. Right. The enemy that tells you what you want to hear is not loving. Right. The friend that tells you the hard thing that you need to hear is actually the loving response. Right. And that, that continues to be that, – that is a – if you can think of that in your own life, of a good friend who's spoken hard words to you, and in retrospect, you are so thankful for them, mm-hmm. that's, that's an example of God's love for us. Yes. You know, being demonstrated through somebody else's actions. Mm-hmm. But it's a little microcosm of what God seeks to do in our mm-hmm. life, to speak the hard words, but call us forward to him. Sure. Maintain relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know, you know, if you're out there listening today and you're or you're watching and you're like, you know, I, I guess I would want to remind people like what the purpose of the podcast is. Yeah. It's not necessarily to like communicate like this is the truth. This is the only way to think about it. This is the one way. Mm-hmm. Um I like even thinking back on most of our conversation today feels like more of like just a lot of personal reflection on what is shame and guilt and condemnation and sorrow and not even necessarily us being like, well, this is definitely what it is, or this is the only way to think about it, or this is the completely non or completely nuanced, hundred percent covered every base right. of Maybe. the conversation. You know, we don't think that. No. Um, and I, I'm open to someone I'm open to reading or hearing and learning more that would enlighten more of this conversation for me. Like, I don't think I I know it all. Oh no, not, not at all. But I think that the conversation is important mm-hmm. because of um, the way in which guilt and shame and condemnation kind of are so prevalent and function deeply within our hearts. Yeah. Um, if you, if you're listening today or watching today and you have a question that you would like us to maybe banter back and forth with, um, we are we do have a mailbag. Yep. Um, and the easiest way to get questions into that mailbag is to text them. Uh, so we've set up a special number for that mailbag. Uh, text number for the podcast is 716 um, of course, all those will be made or will be re- those, all those will remain confidential. Yeah. So it's not like we're going to reveal your name or anything like that unless you want us to. But uh, we'd love to have any questions or any topics or anything that you would like us to, to talk about here. And, um, you know, if you don't see that. If you don't see that question come up for a few episodes, realize that we're we're always recording a few episodes ahead. You know, we're um, yeah. you know a couple weeks ahead of time, and so when we get a when we get a good bit of questions in the mailbag, then we'll do probably just a whole mailbag episode yep. where we just deal with all those questions. Mm-hmm. So, yep. yeah, you want to have the final word, Pastor Luke? Yeah. Well, uh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, like and subscribe so you don't miss out, and appreciate you being part of. This. The Uncut Podcast. The Uncut Podcast. See you next time.